Hey, my name's Jamie Poisson, and I'm the host of Frontburner. It's the CBC's daily news podcast. And every day we're discussing the big events and fault lines shaping Canada and the world. Politics, economics, social movements, you name it. Sometimes we even talk about really fun stuff like the enduring relevance of Lord of the Rings. You can hear Frontburner on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. We do know that shoplifting has increased, so that includes food, apparel, footwear, merchandise. Hi, I'm Ian Henneman, singing in Vancouver. Welcome to Cross Country Checkout. I think the reason why people don't like receipt checks is they feel like the retailer is treating them like a criminal. Our question from self-checkout to receipt checks, what is your shopping experience like right now? I don't see why people are in such a kerfuffle about showing their receipts. That doesn't bother me one bit. I prefer myself to go to a cashier because they are efficient. I remember leaving after having purchased something with a bag and someone stopped me and asked me to check my receipt and I said no thanks and I just kept walking. Ever since CBC did a story a few days ago on self-checkouts and receipt checks, we've been inundated with replies, comments, thousands of people with strong opinions. Obviously, these topics touch a nerve. On the program today, we'd like to broaden it out. What's your shopping experience like? Do you enjoy visiting certain stores and what do you like about it? Or are you fed up, whether it's scanning your own item, someone demanding your receipt or something else? Our question from self-checkout to receipt checks, what is your shopping experience like right now. And in the last half hour, are you being watched while you shop? We're going to speak with someone who operates a loss prevention company. That means security guards and undercover shoppers. He'll tell us the steps he needs to go through before he can accuse someone of shoplifting. It's more complicated than you might think. From CBC Radio 1, this is Checkup in 60, the podcast. Highlights from Cross Country Checkup's live broadcast from July 16th, 2023. Let's kick off the program with someone who knows a lot about the shopping experience in Canada. Bruce Winder has spent decades working in retail at senior management positions. Now he's a retail analyst and he joins us from Toronto. Hi, Bruce. Hey, Ian. How you doing? Good. So I mentioned the story that my colleague Sophia Harris did and all of the reaction we got. And really, the reaction was uh, equally about the self-checkouts, even though they've been around for a long time, and the receipt checks. And not all were, were negative. I would say it was about 85, 15. A lot of people said, hey, you know, progress marches on, things do change. But the thing is, we got a huge amount of reaction from uh, viewers and, and readers. From your experience as, as someone so experienced in the retail sector, what's your sense of why this would, would strike such a nerve? Yeah, it strikes a nerve. I mean, uh, the whole the whole issue about um, self-serve checkout has been striking a nerve for a while, a little bit with some people. I mean, when it first started out, you know, call it five or 10 years ago, retailers really rolled it out really to save labor uh, as a labor savings. And I think consumers thought it was okay for the most part because you can save time as well. Some some consumers didn't like it though because they thought, you know what, you're taking away a job, you're taking away Canadian jobs. So there's a bit of an issue with that. But then uh, over the last year or two, what we've seen is uh, shoplifting and what they call shrink in the industry uh, balloon up. 
And uh, it's caused retailers to really take a look at every part of their process. And one of the areas where retailers have said they're losing a lot is on self-checkout, that consumers are helping themselves to products, and it's starting to really hit the bottom line. So in your role as an analyst, in your role as somebody who's a retail veteran, what would you recommend to, to stores how to deal with this? Yeah, it's a real tough one, Ian. You know, there isn't sort of a silver bullet here. I mean, it's going to vary a lot. Um, you know, I think that uh, you, you can't really, I really think it's difficult to ask consumers to show their receipts after every transaction. I think you're punishing many for the actions of a few. I think there has to be some better ways of doing it. You may have to work in the honor system a bit more. You know, I think there's a bit of a hybrid too, I've seen where you have self-checkout, but you also have someone there who's kind of watching a little bit. And, you know, by watching a little bit and they're sort of answering questions, it helps deter some of the thefts as well. I want to play a clip from Michelle Washalishan. She speaks for the Retail Council of Canada. That organization represents, as you know, uh, retailers of all sizes across Canada. And we asked her how she might respond to customers who are frustrated by receipt checks, something you just touched on. But let's hear what she said. Um, I would say that I can probably understand that. Personally, I have not had my receipt checked at the door yet. I can understand that, but I would also ask people to be patient and understanding and try to understand where that business is coming from. We have an estimate from 2019 that retail crime in Canada accounts for anywhere up to $5 billion a year in losses. We don't want to have to pass on those additional costs to consumers, but that's what happens. And as we're seeing these incidents of theft increasing, it is becoming more of an issue. Well, let's go back to Bruce Winder, a retail analyst in Toronto. And, uh, you know, that lines up uh, with your experience as well in terms of the amount of, of shoplifting, trying to, to deal with it. Um, and, and you've seen, I guess, you've, you've been talking about a change over time, I guess, Bruce. Yeah, it's really changed over time. I mean, you know, we used to have everything go through the cash register. Now it's self-checkout. And you can see why. I mean, you can see how consumers or how stores are trying to save money. But there's other technologies that are coming out as well. Uh, in the U.S., and then we have some versions in Canada too, there's technologies where you can scan an app. Amazon Go is an example. You scan an app and then you just put everything in your basket. Whatever you walk out of the store with, you're automatically debited for. So, you know, I, I think it's difficult, though, for consumers to accept that we should all be penalized for some process issues at the retailer. I really think there's a better way to do it. And I don't think checking receipts is the answer. Yeah, I, you know, as soon as you said that, I remember an ad, but it was some time ago, maybe four or five years ago of somebody walking through a store and in the ad, they made that person look like they were actually shoplifting. They breezed past a security guard, breezed through the exit. And of course, they hadn't done anything wrong because they had the system you were talking about. Do you have any idea how how far away we are in terms of technology and cost from seeing that kind of system in stores in Canada? Yeah, it's getting closer. I mean, there was a lot of uh, discussion about it. Um, I know in Canada, there is a company, I, I forget, I think they're called 24-7 uh, or something. I'm not going to get their name right, but they've developed a, uh, a a test version of this. They're actually using it in some convenience stores, I believe, in the greater Toronto area. So the technology is here, but remember, it's always about capital expenditure, right? Nothing's free. It may cost several hundred thousand dollars, up to a million dollars to convert a store to this format. So it's not cheap and retailers, you know, are very stingy as they should be about where they spend their capital dollars. 
A lot of people still go to stores. I find one of the things that people overestimate is the ratio of online shopping to in-store shopping. Uh, so there is something about bricks and mortar that still appeals to a lot of people, Bruce. Again, drawing on your experience, what would you say to any shopkeepers who are listening uh, about what they should be thinking about, even beyond self-checkout and, and shoplifting, just sort of generally speaking, what they should be thinking about to make the in-store experience more attractive to people? Yeah, it's a great question, Ian. I mean, it really depends on which demographic and which market segment you're going after. But I think the bottom line is, you know, you want to make it easy for the customer. If if you're targeting more of the transactional customer, you know, someone who's maybe income challenged, you got to make it really easy for them to get in, you know, have great value, low cost. If you're targeting someone who's a bit more affluent, then, then they want more sort of of once in a lifetime type experiences. You know, they want to come in and be thrilled. They want to talk to experts. They want community. They really want to be wowed. So you have to give them a reason for coming in. And the big differentiator really between online folks and brick and mortar is, is service. Um, that's that's probably the biggest thing. The other thing is that sometimes people want to touch and feel the product and uh, learn about the product as well. So there's a few things you can do depending on which uh, target market you're going after. The key is to ask your customers what they want and then deliver it to them. Great advice. And uh, as someone who spends a lot of time, maybe too much time in stores, not necessarily buying, but just, you know, walking through, enjoying things. I think all your points are well taken, Bruce. Thank you very much for speaking with us. Anytime, Ian. Thanks a lot. Bruce Winders, a retail analyst in Toronto. And Jessica Slater is calling us from uh, just outside Vancouver in Maple Ridge. Hi, Jessica. Hi, how are you? I'm well. So what is your shopping experience like these days? Yeah, it's been really interesting. Um... I am part Cree. My mom's Cree. My dad's English. But I can pass as white. But a lot of my friends can't. And anti-Indigenous racism in big box retailers was bad before COVID. But we've noticed a huge uptick since COVID of my friends being borderline harassed. And I'm seeing TikToks and, you know, Facebook posts um, almost weekly about these incidents. And it's coming to a boiling point, I feel like. Um, and I do think that <clears throat> there must be some correlation with, you know, the increase in theft with the current economic realities um, of people just feeling squeezed, you know, with the increases of cost of living and and inflation and things like that. But um, I think the real crime here is the profit margins that these big retailers are making and taking advantage of Canadians that are already feeling squeezed by so many other systemic impacts, like including COVID. But, you know, in a moment, we're going to hear from uh, the owner of a small chain of stores in Canada, and I'll ask him, but I think his view might be a little different in terms of of profit margins. Um, So maybe, but, 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 you know, you raise a lot of really important points, Jessica, about the, uh, about racism or the perception of racism or a combination of those two things. Um, And so... You know, at the same time, we know that shoplifting is a is a issue uh, and a growing issue for some stores. So, how how do we address this? What's the proper way, Jessica, to to deal with all of this? Well, I think it's a larger systemic issue. You know, like um, I've been working in the field of indigenous led systems change actually for some time, looking at upstream um, causes of some of these you know, downstream acute uh, ways that we feel impacts in communities. And I think we need to really start putting the onus back on the system of like, why is are these big retailers, I'm not talking about small chains here, I'm talking about big retailers that have taken advantage of the fact that we are already being squeezed by COVID, by inflation, um, with these uh, unethical price increases. 
why are they not being held accountable um, for making the the already tough situation even tougher? And, you know, I've seen these videos, like the reality of them. I just think that there is so much systemic racism. I think it got worse over COVID. And um, I think, you know, that that really needs to be addressed. Um, And I also just want to say one more thing, like one of the clips you just uh, played was about half the cost of these thefts down to consumers. But like, what about all these other costs that they're already passing down to us? Like, where's that conversation? I don't understand. Like, I mean, these uh, price increases that we've already had to pay all of these, like, we're just getting squeezed from Mm -hmm. every side, whether it's fees on our gas, whether it is, you know, the rising cost of food and like, when are we going to address those things instead of like blaming the consumer and pathologizing the people that are really impacted by all of these different systems at play? Okay, Jessica, thank you very much for calling. Yeah, thank you so much. Have a great day. Well, I mentioned that we would talk to the owner of a small grocery chain, and let's do that right now. Munther Zied uh, is the owner of Food Fair. He is in Winnipeg. Munther, how are you? Very well, thanks. How are you? Good. Um, so the Retail Council of Canada is telling us that there is an increase in shoplifting from uh, in stores. What's your experience in Winnipeg? Well, uh, we have five locations in Winnipeg. And yes, we are seeing some uh, increase in theft, but it's really, it looks like area-based. Not all our, all our stores are facing this. So uh, it's a challenge and uh, we're trying our best to deal with it. And what is it like as a store owner to, to deal with shoplifting? Well, I mean, we're experiencing, depending on location, four, five, six, sometimes as high as 10 people a day that we we catch or stop from shoplifting from our stores. But as I said, it's only at a couple of locations. All, our, all of our locations are facing it, but not as high as the two that we have right now. And we just heard from a caller. I'm not sure if you had a chance to, to listen to her. And she drew a straight line between uh, how everything costs more money, how squeezed people are, and shoplifting. In your experience at your five stores, are you seeing that as well? Do you see the shoplifting driven largely by necessity? No. I can tell you the shoplifting that we're seeing right now is not for hunger reasons. Um, It's or even lack of money. Uh, People that are hungry might steal a sandwich, a banana, one or two items. How many blocks of cheese do you need to steal if you're hungry? You don't need to steal 10. I mean, what we're catching now is people stealing multiples, five, six, seven of the same item. That's not being because of hunger. That's being uh, st- stealing because they're feeding another hunger that they have, whether it be an addiction or something else. Um, the amount of people that we're catching that are stealing one item or two is very low, very, very low. And you've tried different things to try to reduce the amount of shoplifting. Um, security guards, uh, I guess you don't do... I don't know if you do receipt checks, but but at the end of the day, what have you found is the most effective way to deal with this, or is there an effective way? There, is, in my opinion, no effective way. We we have cameras throughout all our stores. We watch uh, as best as we can uh, people's movements. Also, we've learned over time how people movements are, and we catch that way. Um, we've had security. Um, security is a uh, they may be able to prevent people from stealing just because of being there. But when a confrontation happens, the security guard's not doing anything. They're not putting their life on the line 
for a grocery store, for a jug of milk or a loaf of bread or whatever is, is happening. But I mean, some of the people that are stealing today are very aggressive and you have to be ready for that. And uh, let's shift the topic for a moment, because as I've said, I, I want to get more, uh, you know, go broader than just shoplifting and and self-checkout, which incidentally, you don't have at your stores. You don't have the self-checkout. Um, but, but what does it take to make the in-store shopping experience attractive for your customers, do you think? Uh, our stores are more full service. People that are shopping at our stores right now enjoy having full service. They want service. There's no benefit of going to a self-checkout. What benefit do you have? You self-checkout, you self-bag, everything's self, 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 and prices are still going up. What's the value of that? We offer full service, whether it be at the checkout, bagging the grocery, scanning it for you, even taking it out to your car, serving you at the meat counter. You can pick the steak that you want. You don't have to buy pre-packaged if you don't want. Uh, you can buy it. I mean, it's service, service, service. And we believe in that. I believe in that. I go into stores myself that, whether it be a pharmacy, uh, I prefer going to the checkout where somebody's serving, servicing me instead of the self-checkout. So I believe in service, and that's why customers come to the store uh, or stores is because they want to be serviced. Uh, they don't want to be checked at the door after they're being serviced. So um, we believe in service, and that's the way to go. Friendly service, I'll tell you, uh, my family will attest to the fact that uh, I will go way out of my way if if I feel like I'm getting to a store that uh, is not just providing service, but doing it in a friendly way. Uh, Munther, uh, thank you very much for speaking with us. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Have a great day. Munther Zied is uh, the owner and manager of the Food Fair Grocery Stores, and we reached him in Winnipeg. A little bit later this hour, we'll be speaking with a lawyer and law professor about whether you actually need to stop if a store owner asks to see your receipt. The answer might surprise you. Uh, Dane McFadden is calling from here in Vancouver. Hi, Dane. Hi, and how are you? Good. Um, I see here from our notes that uh, that you tried to stop a shoplifter. Tell us about that moment. I did. I have a couple of comments, and uh, I'll comment afterwards on my idea or my my feelings on being having my uh, receipt checked. Okay. Um, well, this is Vancouver, and I, I've seen you in Vancouver a couple of times, so you know Vancouver quite well. This is in a derelict area in a huge mall that used to be, it was touted to be sensational. And then it went into ruin. It's called Tinseltown. Mm -hmm. And because the drugs, uh, the drug problem that we have in the Hastings area bled into that area, uh, we get people who are sometimes homeless street people and drug induced. So I went into this Japanese store one day just to take a look around and uh, there were two cashiers, both women, and they were side by side, uh, ho almost holding each other in fear. And standing in front of them was a young man, I would say early 20s, quite tall, very belligerent. And he was getting angrier every second. Uh, they had a security guard, but he didn't have the paraphernalia. He didn't have a jacket saying... Um, Mm -hmm. saying he was security, but he was obviously um, uh, a person who was there for that reason. And uh, he looked nervous as well. And this guy had his arms full of items from the store, and he was not going to pay for them. They had blocked the turnstile 
from ter- from letting him out. So he was screaming at them using every word you can think of. And I finally had enough. And I walked up. I'm I'm in my sixties, and I blocked his path. And I said, "Put those things back." And I got. Um, I heard both F words. I'm gay, so I heard the two F words mm. and uh, pejoratives, as long as your arm. Yeah. And I wouldn't give up. There was something inside me that was fed up with seeing not the things taken, but how he was treating these people, just doing their jobs. Mm-hmm. And I said, put the things back, put them back, drop them on the floor if you need to. He dropped something. He kicked it. It went out into the mall where a small crowd was starting to form. Uh, He stepped over the the turnstile and dropped another couple of items. And I grabbed the items and he started screaming at me. And then I stood up to him and I said, I'm not letting you go. And he said, you can't do that. I said, try it. Do anything you want. Take a poke. That was the word I used, Ian. Mm -hmm. Take a poke. I'm ready for you. It was this Neanderthal feeling that I got inside me that just took over. Uh, later in, in conversation with friends, they said, were you nuts? Maybe <laughs> I was. Well, and, and I said, you're making these women cry. Mm-hmm. You're, they are working nine to five, and you're not. And you expect to take these things free? I'm not going to let you. He, um, he gave me a chest bump. I didn't give. And then he dropped everything out of frustration and walked out. I tell you, I went back inside and they were all saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. But I went into an aisle and my knees were shaking. Mm -hmm. Would I do it again, I guess, is the big question. Well, (laughs) let me me ask you the big question. Yes, would you do it again? If he was threatening, I mean, I'm getting older and Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm less, you know, I know there's going to come a time when I'll be less able to... Uh, defend myself, mm-hmm. but yes, yes, I, I would, because they were terrified. Even the man, the young man, and he was a young man, I would say close to 30, and uh, this is the, the security guard. And you know, there, there's, a lot, I, there's a lot to think about as you tell your story, Dane. Sorry to jump in, but I know you have a, no, 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 uh, okay. you have a, you have a second part, and I want to ask you about that too, but I would just say mm-hmm. that, that mm-hmm. you know, the idea of people mistreating other people and doing it with impunity mm-hmm. and doing it with an impunity is obviously something mm-hmm. that most of us w- would have a problem with. Um, you are understanding enough to, to suggest that the, the guy who was trying to steal this stuff probably had issues, you know, like addiction. So that, you know, there, there's, there's, yeah. there's room in the right circumstances for compassion for them yeah. as well. Um, but mm-hmm. then the third thing is just the, the, pragmatism of staying safe. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, you kind of were lucky, Dane, that this guy <laughs> didn't pull a knife out or, or you know. Yeah, well, you know, so. yes, you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. But I was going to say, I was in Homo Depot. Sorry, Homo. We always, we gay people, we call it Homo Depot. Uh, and I saw people walking out with very expensive items. They were slightly disheveled. And I started to walk after them because the the employees weren't stopping them. So a woman shouted after me and she said, excuse me, excuse me, don't get involved, don't get involved. And I said, why? Look, at he's got a very expensive toaster. He's got other items in boxes, obviously brand new. And she she turned to me and she said, we can't put a hand on them. We can't touch them. Mm -hmm. And that 
that surprised me. And I said, well, I'll go after him. I'll get those things back. I'll grab them. No, no, don't, don't, please. Because then we would get, perhaps, we'd wind up with you being, as you said, Ian, knifed or, or hurt. Well, yeah, uh, listen, and, there, there's, it's, okay, I'll, I'll let you finish that thought, and then I, I'll say something. Go ahead. <laughs> well, I was also way back, I was a floor walker. Mm. I, I, I saw a woman steal some cheese, and I never said anything because she was very old, obviously decrepit. Uh, she was in a rough way, and I just turned a blind eye. But I had stopped uh, people in my short time. It was a summer job. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I go into a number of, well, let's see, Nestor's grocery store, I can see who the floor walker is. Mm-hmm. And I usually smile and nod because I know why they're there. Yeah. And maybe it's because I've got gray hair, you know, silver hair. Mm-hmm. Um, that they don't see me as a threat. But uh, the floor walkers of today are completely, I would say, mostly unprepared mm-hmm. for violence. All right, so Dane, listen, l- l- you know what? I, I've been fascinating hearing your call. I really appreciate it. I, I really should move on because uh, I've got a lot of other uh, people to talk to. And, and I will say, well, I guess just to underscore the last part of what I said to Dane just a moment ago, which is uh, as understandable as his reaction is to not allow somebody to mistreat others with impunity, um, it is dangerous. I mean, here in British Columbia, for example, we have to pay for gas before we pump it. And it's specifically because uh, some people who worked at gas stations said they were told by their owners to not let people just fill their tanks and run away without paying. And one of those situations led to to the death of a gas station attendant. And that was it, it's just, you know, things can get out of control. Uh, Roxanne Dokel is in Edmonton. Have I pronounced your last name correctly, Roxanne? <laughs> it's Duke Health, but you did pretty good, Ian, and okay. thank you for taking my call. Oh, you're very <laughs> welcome. Um, so w- what's your view on our topic today? Well, I, my experience is, I was hoping the first time it happened to me it was an anomaly, but it wasn't because it happened twice. I just want to prefix my statement with, I'm old enough to remember when going into the grand department stores in Vancouver downtown was a real treat. Mm-hmm. I caught the tail end of that era where we would actually get dressed up to go into the city to go shopping <laughs> and look at the windows. And my grandma would put on even a, a hat girdle and gloves. I mean, it was, you know, it was a, it was a thing to do. Yeah. Woodwards Anyways, and Eaton's. Yeah. It was yeah, fantastic. Hudson's Bay downtown. Yeah. Yes. It was lovely. Yeah. Um, those days are sort of gone. <laughs> um, but I had two experiences in um, probably in the course of almost two years. The first one was at and I, it shall go unnamed, but mm-hmm. one of Canada's most expensive department stores, I was looking at some ladies' items, and a man that was not in like plain clothes approached me and said, can I look in your purse? And I said, no, because I didn't know who he was, right? I thought, who is this man? Mm-hmm. He literally grabbed my purse right out of my hands and dumped it out on the counter. And Wow. Yeah, and that was mortifying. I, I literally I yelled for a security guard, and... Anyways, it turned out they thought I was shoplifting. I have a charge account for 20 years in this store. I've never stolen anything in my life. Mm. I, put my, I was completely mortified. I put everything back in my purse. I marched right upstairs to the manager's office, and um, I wanted an apology, and I never got one. And right there, I made her walk over to the finance department. I canceled my credit card right there. That Good was it. For, Good for you. Why do you think that they uh, targeted you? I asked them that. And what's really strange is, is that 
the purse that they grabbed out of my hands and dumped was purchased in their store. And not to sound vain or conceited, but it was a very expensive purse. Mm -hmm. So, and I was a regular shopper in that store, but they didn't seem to care. So that said, I don't shop at that store anymore. Anyways. So inexcusable what happened, but then you had a second incident. Yes. So in another one of Canada's largest department stores, so these are better retailers. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, I was in the ladies' cosmetic section looking at some lipstick, and the lady behind the counter said, can I look in your handbag? And I said, why? And she said, because I think you took a lipstick. I said, I, I didn't take a lipstick. And then she said, could you come with me, please? And I was dumbfounded. They took me into a back room. Same thing. They took my purse, dumped it out. Nothing in my purse. By that point, I was completely fed up. What I did with that situation was I went home. I wrote a handwritten letter to the CEO of the department store. I said how angry I was, how mortified I was, and how disappointed I was. Mm -hmm. And I threatened to cancel my credit card. And lo and behold, a week later, I got an apology and a $150 gift card in the mail. Well, that's, that's actually a nice uh, sort of gesture on the, on the store's part. Did it make you, did, did it go any way to repairing your relationship with that store? Well, it did. It did. And what's sad is I wanted to be able to keep shopping in that store. We don't have very many depart- those types of department stores left mm-hmm. in Canada. And I didn't want to have to make the point of never going in there again. I don't think if I would have written that letter, I would have gotten any type of response, obviously. I mean, I spoke to the manager at the store. I don't tend to be the type of person that wants to make a scene places and stuff Mm -hmm. like that, but I had never had anything like that happen before. Now, I understand since those things have happened and having a couple girlfriends that have worked in some of these stores, you know, high-end cosmetics are really stolen a lot. The Mm -hmm. testers and stuff, they're sold on the secondary markets, you know, handbags, all those types of things. It's a big business for these resellers that steal these items. I get it. But, you know, at the same time, I think, you know, the previous gentleman that was talking about seeing people steal things. Okay. There is a lot of people stealing things, but they also have to be careful who they go after before they accuse people of stealing things. You know, I a hundred percent. Absolutely. Go ahead. I don't think, you know, now they would be so quick to grab someone's handbag and dump it out, mm-hmm. perhaps. But maybe in these higher-end stores, they still will. I will say that type of old service that you used to get in regular stores, you can still get, but you have to go into the most ex- exclusive, expensive boutiques to get it. You used to be able to get this type of service in anywhere. Mm-hmm. It's it's gone now. So nowadays, like when I've taken my 85-year-old mom to Walmart and you've got this kid that goes out of their way to be so helpful, I mean, there still is people that are are like that, that are Mm -hmm. still going out of their way. But we always make a point of telling management or, you know, sending a quick email and saying how wonderful the service was because otherwise it's going to go unnoticed, right? Yeah, you know, there's so much about your your stories that uh, resonate, and uh, and and one of the messages is about feedback. I have composed so many emails in my mind after an experience at a store, uh, sometimes good, sometimes bad. And to your point, I've had lots of great experiences at stores, a lot of staff that do go the extra mile. But I, I, I compose these in my head and I don't ever actually send them. So the fact that you send them and in the case of uh, the second being kind of uh, wrongly accused that you were able to actually get them to apologize and, and give you a gift card is fantastic, Roxanne. Thank you very much for calling. 
Ian, it doesn't always hurt to say, well, I'm going to contact a CBC too and tell them what <laughs> happened. <laughs> well, fair enough. You can you can do that um, if you like. I'm certainly happy you contacted uh, Cross Country Checkup today. It was Thank really, you again. Thank really, you again. Really nice talking to you. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman, host of the CBC podcast, The Dose. Each week, we answer health topics in a smart and sometimes counterintuitive way you won't hear anywhere else. Like, what's the least amount of exercise I can do to get the benefits? Which psychedelics can improve my mental health? And how can I check for cancer if I don't have a family doctor? Top experts help me bring you what you need to know in plain language in about 20 minutes. Find The Dose on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. So let's connect now with a lawyer. Alex Colangelo uh, is uh, both a lawyer and a law professor at Humber College in Toronto. Hi, Alex. Hi, Ian. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for uh, allowing us to, to call you. And, the, you know, this is an issue that comes up a lot, and, and we heard uh, Roxanne uh, mention it as well, and that is when when somebody gets confronted by someone from a store and says, you know, in, in her case, I want to see your purse, what are her rights in that situation? Well, generally, a, a retailer doesn't have the right to stop you and and, and detain you. Uh, under the criminal code, a property owner does have the right, if they find you committing a criminal offense, to arrest you, to stop you, to call the police and, and hold you until police come. But if they do not find you committing a criminal offense, then they are not uh, legally able to stop you from leaving. They have no authority. And if you haven't done anything wrong and they stop you and prevent you from leaving or insist that uh, they search your, your bags or just prevent you from, from leaving the store, um, you know, you potentially could sue them for false imprisonment. And there have been shoppers who have, have sued for that very thing. So if you were in Roxanne's situation, she is in a nice store that she is a, a frequent customer of. She is wrongly accused, let's take her at her word, wrongly accused right. of shoplifting. And they say, we want to see what's in your handbag. Um, what do you think she should have done in that situation? So again, I, you know, it depends on the situation. I can't, I can't uh, yeah. provide legal advice on any particular situation, but I mean... I've been in that situation where I remember leaving a future shop back in the day and they asked me to, to show their receipt on my way out. And I said, no, thanks. And I kept walking. Um, you know, you're, you're in British Columbia, I understand. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was a case a few years ago in B.C. where a gentleman went to a hardware store and a loss prevention officer saw him taking a light bulb and putting it into his pocket and not paying for it. So they stopped him. They told him he couldn't leave until they called police. Police came. It turned out he brought the light bulb from home. He wanted to make sure he bought the right replacement bulb. Mm -hmm. So they sorted out. He was free to go. whole thing took about 45 minutes to an hour. And he sued successfully. And I think the court awarded him about $4,000 in damages. So a, a store does not have the authority to hold you if you have done nothing wrong. Stopping you because they think you're shoplifting, if you are shoplifting, then they have the authority to stop you. But if they are incorrect and you've done nothing wrong or they're just doing random receipt checks, they've exceeded their authority and you could uh, theoretically sue them. So, so I think in, in Roxanne's case, uh, getting the $150 gift certificate, I think the store probably got off pretty easy in that case. 
So a store is private property. And so let's say you exercise your right to walk out without showing a receipt or without showing them what's inside your purse or in our case, a wallet. Um, you, you just, you know, you, you walk out, you have the right to do that. Um, but does the store then have the right to say, Ian, I don't want you back inside my store next time. This is private property. I'm not discriminating against you because of your, you know, gender or ethnicity, but because you didn't want to stop before, I won't let you back in. Is that within their legal right? Right. So that's the risk. A, a, a store, a, you know, a business, they can refuse to serve you or to let you onto the property for any reason, so long as they don't violate human rights legislation. Mm -hmm. So like you said, if, if they stop you from coming back because of your ethnicity, race, gender, gender expression, one of the prohibited grounds under human rights legislation, that would be a violation. But if they simply say, you know, I'm not going to serve you or you can't come back because we suspect you of being a shoplifter, then that's a risk that you take by, I guess, saying no. Uh, they would be within their rights to not let you back in. And I think that's that's how stores have tried to, I think, manage the risk of shoplifting. They won't apprehend somebody on the way out because they don't want to get it wrong and potentially uh, get that liability. But they may then tell their employees that if you see this person, uh, tell them they have to leave. They may serve a trespass notice on the person, give them, uh, give them notice that they're not uh, welcome in the store anymore. That's something that, you know, a store could do. Mm -hmm. Well, I know to your point, you're not giving specific uh, legal advice to anyone, including uh, the previous caller, Roxanne, but in terms of general legal uh, guidelines uh, or principles, uh, we really appreciate hearing from you, Alex. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Alex Colangelo is uh, both a lawyer and a law professor. He works at Humber College and we reached him in Toronto. Let's go to St. Catharines, Ontario now, and uh, Elaine Bouches, Boucher, I guess, is. Uh, I'm just looking at the uh, phonetic pronunciation somebody's put in here, Elaine, and clearly it's Boucher. How are you? Not bad. How are you, Ian? Good. Thank you very much for calling. What, what's your uh, okay, shopping I'll experience? Okay, i short and okay. sweet. All right. The self-checkout today, I don't really believe in it because you're taken away from jobs that people need jobs today. Mm -hmm, Two or mm -hmm. three jobs to survive. So I think that they should uh, they should have more people at staff there, and I pay cash only. So for me, it's complicating. Now, some people, and these came in some of the comments we got uh, for our CBC item, uh, a lot of people agreed with your position, but there are people who said, look, uh, ATMs and, uh, and, and, you know, pumping our own gas are lots of areas where, where we have done things and, you know, theoretically taking away people's jobs, but it's made life more efficient and saved money for everybody. Do you do any of those other things? No. <laughs> okay. All right. I don't. If I have to pay, if I want money from the bank, I go right to the cashier. I don't believe in all these machines or nothing. I won't use them. <laughs> Sorry, but I won't use them. No, you don't have to apologize for somebody who... who, who... And my, my name is Lynn, not Elaine. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, L-Y-N-N, Lynn. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, we, we got that wrong here, but Lynn, Lynn Boucher, we got it right now. And listen, okay. um, and so now, do you always pay cash? Do you ever use a credit card? Okay. Never. I mean, Never. I just don't want to. Uh, I feel more comfortable with cash. And you know what? It goes a lot faster at a checkout cash than these cards. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Well, good. I good. don't even have a cell phone.
don't. I don't even believe in that. <laughs> All right, so you are a throwback, uh, Lynn. Thank I'm you. a throwback. I'm yeah. away from the past. <laughs> yeah, and listen, there's nothing wrong with that. Thank you very much for calling. You're welcome. Yeah, nice to hear from you. That's Lynn Boucher calling us, uh, presumably from a landline, maybe from a payphone in St. Catharines. So uh, we're here to talk about the shopping experience, uh, but we're spending a lot of time talking about one part of that experience, which is shoplifting. And uh, our next guest knows a lot about that. Sunil Subramanian specializes in loss prevention. He is the director of operations at Wincon Security and Investigations, a major provider of security services to retailers. And he joins us now from Toronto. Sunil, how are you? I'm good. And yourself? Good. Thank you very much for uh, for joining us. Um, tell us a little bit about, in your experience, working with various retailers, and I know you won't mention them by name, I appreciate that, but, but what sort of things are getting stolen the most uh, at the stores that are run by your clients? As you said, there's various, various retailers, um, but when it comes to the thefts uh, that's occurring, we see a lot of um, loss when it comes to meat products, uh, baby formula, razors, vitamins, batteries, things of that nature, things that you can quickly conceal and get away with. And, and is there any profile of the typical shoplifter? Is it out of necessity that people are, are shoplifting in order to get just food on their table? Is it, are, are people part of, uh, you know, trying to make money from the products that they're selling? What are you seeing? It's a very broad uh, spectrum. I mean, we're dealing with people coming out of COVID, loss of employment, loss of income, uh, being forced to take these measures. Uh, you know, people dealing with mental health issues, uh, obviously people with drug abuse, homelessness. Um, but on the flip side of that, we obviously have the organized retail crime that comes in and, and takes and takes out large quantities as well. So you have working uh, for your clients through your company, uh, two, at least two categories of workers. You have people who are loss prevention officers in, in plain clothes, kind of walking through a store, through the aisles. Um, and I believe you also have uniformed security guards that are there to be visible. Um, when they, either one, spots uh, what they believe is shoplifting in progress, how, how do they respond to it? Um, again, it varies. So when you have the loss prevention guard that is not in uniform, um, they have a process that they have to follow in order to go through with an arrest. Uh, the acronym we use is called SCOPE, uh, and that stands for Selection, Concealment, Observation, Pass the Point of Sale, and then uh, Pass the Point of uh, the Exit Point. Uh, once those five steps have been uh, observed throughout without missing any one point, we are then able to complete the arrest. When it comes to the uniform aspect of it, uh, it's not as complicated um, because it doesn't happen as often. Uh, uniform uh, guards deal more with kind of smash and run, grab and run uh, um, issues where people know that there's uniform guards there. They just don't care anymore. Uh, they're pretty brazen. Um, and so they're just trying to get away as fast as possible and run uh, and get away. We had a caller earlier this hour, a man in his 60s, or I think he was in his 60s at the time, who saw 
uh, somebody shoplifting at a, a store here in Vancouver. And uh, there was a security guard who I guess wasn't intervening. There were a couple of shopkeepers who looked scared. And so he stood there and refused to let the, the shoplifter leave. And the shoplifter bumped him and uh, the guy stood his ground. I think I know how you're going to answer this, but what would you say to that, uh, that bystander who intervened? Um, I, I did watch that segment as well. Um, I appreciate what he did, uh, especially because he had the loss prevention background as well. But um, there's no real reason to put your life in danger for a scenario like that. We don't know the individuals that we're dealing with. Um, our security staff go through extensive training to be able to deal with people uh, that are committing theft for one reason or another, whether it's mental health or homelessness culture and things of that nature. But again, uh, as you said to him, maybe not put yourself at, uh, in harm's way for the sake of a couple of dollars. And Sunil, let me ask you about another caller, uh, the woman uh, from, I think, maybe Edmonton, who said that twice in her life, and she sounds like an older woman, she talked about uh, remembering the grand old days of the department stores in Vancouver, but twice she was confronted in high-end stores uh, by security guards who each time demanded that she open up her purse and uh, empty out the contents uh, because they thought she was stealing. And the way she tells the story, she wasn't stealing. They found nothing. Um, what would you say to her about her experience? Um, I mean, I apologize that she had a negative experience uh, for whichever retail store she was at. Um, but I do believe in the process. I think people need to be a little bit patient with it. Um, look at it from the aspect of maybe it's not an implication of theft, but more of a mitigation of theft, which in the long run is only going to benefit us if we're patient with the process and theft levels come down. Um, you know, inventory pricing is going to go down as well. And with the way inflation is right now, that again is only going to benefit all of us in the long run. Is it working? Uh, the efforts of, of your uh, you know, your company and, uh, and the clients they hire, uh, does it make a difference? Does it reduce shoplifting? It does. Um, it depends on, we have to find the perfect formula, which is what we work on with our clients. Um, we're trying to push now because of um, the procedures that are put in, being put in place where, you know, you can't do receipt checks right now, where you can't do bag checks, there's no touch policies, there's things of that nature. Uh, we're kind of encouraging our client base to move towards the uniform security guard, which is more of a visual deterrent. They can be placed at the entry exit point of your store uh, so people can see them right away. Uh, they can be patrolling the point of sale areas so people know they can't just run straight through and get through. Um, we are kind of encouraging the, the industry to move in that direction um, so as to mitigate more loss. Sunil, thank you very much for your insights. Really interesting talking to you. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Sunil Sobranian uh, specializes in loss prevention. He's a director of operations at Wincon Security and uh, Investigations, a major provider of security services to retailers, and he is in Toronto. Let's pause for a second, though, and talk about the alternative to shopping in store, and that is shopping online. And I know a lot of people like to do that, but, you know, it's not always easy and painless. In June, the U.S. Federal Trade Commission sued online retailer Amazon for what it calls, quote, deceptive practices. The FTC alleging that the company tricked people into signing up for Prime memberships and then made it too complicated to cancel. 
Todd Maffin is a business journalist. He has some advice on what to look out for. He joins us from Nanaimo, British Columbia. And before we begin, I should point out that Todd worked with me on a program called Canada Now back in the 2000s here on CBC. Uh, You were one of the best parts of that show, Todd, and such a pleasure to have you on this program. Good to see you. It was like uh, 20 years and 20 pounds ago for me, so good to see you again. (laughs) Yeah, and uh, I follow you, I think it's on Instagram, certainly on social media, so I feel like I'm in touch with you, but uh, not really. So as I say, really nice to to have you on the program. Let's start off with with Amazon, this FTC lawsuit. FTC alleging that the company has engaged in something called, quote, dark patterns. What does that mean? Dark pattern is essentially whenever an online retailer or website is trying to trick you into doing something that you didn't mean to do. In the case of the allegation with the FTC against uh, Amazon, it was, as you said, too easy to sign up for Prime, which is their monthly membership. And if you've ever shopped on Amazon, you'll know that when you go to uh, to purchase a product, if you don't have Prime, it will try its best to try to get you to sign up. It's like, well, you're giving up free shopping while you're giving up fast delivery. So too easy to sign up. And then a just a a labyrinth of of, uh, website pages to go through uh, to cancel. In fact, the FTC said that the code word internally for Amazon was the Iliad project, making reference to the uh, to the labyrinth, of course. So, uh, (laughs) yeah, it was it was nasty. Now, Amazon says the claims are, are false, but let's make this more general. If, if someone who's listening finds himself with a, a subscription or a recurring payment that maybe they didn't know about or are trying to work their way out of, uh, what advice do you have for them? The, the, the easiest thing to do is to slow down. You know, where dark patterns trick people is when they go really quickly through checkboxes. And, and in fact, Donald Trump in the previous presidential campaign had two giant checkboxes with with uh, uh, text around it that, you know, four or five or six lines just looked like, will you support Donald Trump? And are you prepared to, to fight the good fight? And then in small print underneath it said, by the way, we're going to double your uh, your donation. Are you cool with that? So people who are moving too fast through a cancellation process or even a sign up process might miss that. If you're still stuck, most of the larger e-commerce sites do have phone numbers you can call, or at the very least, a chat line. Amazon has a fairly robust and relatively quick chat system where you can get online and talk to a representative over the computer. That's often a better way to go than trying to find it through the website, which is designed to prevent you from canceling. Yeah, and I've run into that, uh, and and you know I never thought of it as a sinister thing, but uh, a major newspaper I had a subscription to, and decided that I wanted to uh, unsubscribe, and I like I'm not a stupid person, and I could not figure out on their website how to unsubscribe. It was really really frustrating. Um, now we're, we're talking about uh, various kinds of subscriptions, not just to newspapers, but also to things like Amazon Prime. Again, putting those aside, what are some of the other things that companies use um, in dealing with online shoppers that we should be aware of? It's a few. I mean, whenever you see a false urgency on a website, that's something to pay attention to. Uh, that's often a, a countdown timer that's not real. You know, you'll go to a web page. These often come from Instagram or Facebook ads for whatever reason. You go to the landing page is what we call it in the industry. You land on this web page and it has a countdown clock and it says this sale is only available for another two hours and 29 minutes and it's counting <laughs> down. Well, if you sit on that page for a few minutes and then you reload it, you'll find it jumps back to two hours and 29 minutes. It's not real. A very similar one like that is, you know, four people have this in their cart right now or there's only six left now there are ways to patch your website directly into inventory and fulfillment so that number may in fact be accurate but it's it's tricky and i have to say ian it's not just online retailers i mean this happens everywhere my mom who also is not a dumb person asked me to compare her cable bill with a competitor she printed out her cable bill it's eight pages long 
And uh, three of those pages is are her services. And what what a lot of these uh, sites will do, mobile providers, cable companies, in this dark pattern in the invoice is bundle all these services together. So in her case, it was two and a half, three pages of services because uh, there was a there was a phone and then she got a, an, a discount and then she got a loyalty discount and then it was bundled into something else. So it makes it really hard to compare packages. Oh, you know what? Like I, that is so right. And exactly my situation as well with my uh, cable, I could not figure out what I was paying for cable. No, I, I, you know, I don't either. <laughs> yeah, I understood the bottom line, but as you say, all these little things in the in the various lines and the discounts, uh, it, I mean, it sounds crazy, except some people are nodding their heads, I'm sure, because they've been in exactly the same uh, situation. Uh, yeah, like it, it should and, not be that difficult. And it's widespread. You know, there was a study that Princeton University did uh, about three or four years ago now that found they, they looked at 11,000 shopping websites and found dark patterns on 11% of that. And interestingly, the more popular that shopping site was, the more likely it was to use dark patterns. And at the end of the day, if you're stuck in a subscription and you can't get out of it, I guess uh, one very simple way for low-tech people like me is just cancel your credit card. But that seems a little extreme because there's so many other things you rely on with your credit card. Indeed. And, you know, one of the areas that is, I guess, good and bad about the Canadian banking system is that we have very strict regulations when it comes to credit cards. That does prevent us from accessing the kind of more flexible credit card services that they have in the U.S., where there are some credit cards in the U.S. that every time you use your credit card, it generates a new random, uh, a new credit card number, essentially a virtual number. And so rather than having to cancel your entire credit card, you can just cancel that one number, which uh, is attached to that one retailer. We're not quite there yet in Canada because of regulation, but Maybe one day. This is like a high school reunion, Todd. 20 years ago, we were working together <laughs> on TV. Seems like no time has passed at all. Fantastic hearing your voice. Thank you. Indeed. Good to see you, Ian. Todd Maffin, a business journalist, and we've reached him in Nanaimo, British Columbia. Uh, Brent Shikini is in North Bay, Ontario. Hi, Brent. Hi, Ian. How are you? Good. Well, this is interesting. I'm looking at the notes. You are a retired police officer who now works at a retail store. What, what's your perspective on our uh, topic this week? Yes, I work for a large uh, Canadian retailer, and I, uh, from a from a customer standpoint, I do enjoy self checkout. Like I told your producer, I'm I'm old enough that I do appreciate personal service uh, at a brick and mortar store, but I, I'm also busy enough that I I really appreciate self checkout when the when the need arises, mm-hmm. and it's quick and easy. And I'm not a litigious or confrontational person when it comes to any type of retailer need. If they need to see a, a receipt, not a problem. I'm happy to help. So I, I don't see the point of getting into an argument or thinking that you can sue somebody for uh, for wrongful detention or whatever it was your lawyer said. Mm-hmm. And I also want to say thanks very much. I, I I didn't know who my favorite caller was. It was either Dane, the fellow, the old fellow that stopped the uh, <laughs> right. shoplifter, or was it uh, Lynn, who was uh, against cordless everything. So that's uh, <laughs> two great callers. Yeah. So anyway, to so the point of... Uh, Another thing that your last guest missed, too, when it came to uh, online shopping is the potential for counterfeit products. If you, if you use any sort of online shopping and you shop for a specific brand name, sometimes you get counterfeit stuff. And you may or may not know when you get it and, mm-hmm. uh, and the quality is off. So there, there's that downside. But I do appreciate online shopping, too, as long as you're careful on how you do it. But yeah. I think my main point... Yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. Was, yep. No, no problem. Sorry. Uh, my main point with your producer was that... Uh, Retailers do face a huge struggle. I, the, the retailer that I work for, they have a, they have a massive uh, corporate security program, and they're an excellent corporate security program. But uh, 
that costs a lot of money to keep that place going and, and to, to pay all those employees and all the technology involved. And then there's the individual stores themselves who lose between hundreds to thousands of dollars per day to shoplifting and thievery. And so, yeah, the, there's no, um, I, I don't, I, I'm very sympathetic to the fact that they have bills to pay and they have uh, losses to cover when it comes to uh, how they strategize with customers. And, and, and in your experience or in terms of what you're seeing, uh, what is, is there a profile in terms of shoplifting in North Bay in 2023 or, or is it a wide range of, of people and, and motives? I think what we're seeing in, in, in North Bay and other places, it's similar to every other city. There's, a, there's systemic problems within society that are driving people to steal. And, and what I deem a shoplifter is somebody who looks around, shoves one item in their pocket and leaves. And then you have thieves who will who for profit will be trying to take like your one caller said uh the, the fellow that owns the grocery chain mm-hmm. 10 boxes of cheese so that they can sell it to feed their other habit which is drugs or uh whatever other criminal enterprise they have on the go so mm-hmm. yeah that's i think it's the same across every city across uh, canada when you when you look at the profile it's not uh, there's two different types as i say there's a the shoplifter and then there's a the professional thief well, let's finish with your comment on uh, one of your two favorite callers, Dane, the the uh, bystander who, who stood up to a shoplifter. But as you heard me say, uh, I think, you know, opening himself up to a high degree of risk as a retired police officer, Brent, who, who works uh, for uh, a retail store. What would your advice be for him the next time he runs into that situation? Well, I, I don't want to, I can't endorse it and I can't recommend that somebody does that. But Dane's of an age as I am where you know what it's like to take a poke in the face, as he says, and, and and he's willing to put himself to that risk to stand up for something, and would he be able to sleep at night if he went home and didn't, or would he be willing to put up with two hours in the emergency room if he does do it? I think he's willing to put up with it, and I commend him for it, and I applaud him for it. Well, that is a really interesting and informed perspective, given your past. Thank you very much, and uh, I've enjoyed uh, hearing your assessment of our program today. That was fantastic. Okay, thanks very much, Ian. Uh, From self-checkouts to receipt checks, what's your shopping experience like right now? And as I mentioned, uh, very interested in hearing the story from either side of the counter, customers or shopkeepers. Wendy Yates is a small business owner in Cambridge, Ontario. Hi, Wendy. Hi, how are you, Ian? I'm doing well. How how do you feel about uh, the shopping experience these days? (laughs) Well, I really try to give excellent customer service. And as I was saying... Um, to the person who spoke to me earlier, um, 90, 99% of my customers are great people. I enjoy serving them, etc. But I have to say, Ian, there are a bunch of people out there who are unreasonable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in today's world, if they walk out of my store and all they have to go do is go on to Google and give me a bad review for something that isn't bad service. In fact, it was probably good service. <laughs> yeah. So those, those, those bad reviews matter, do they? Oh, absolutely. Because people look at the reviews. They look, they look at your reviews on TripAdvisor when mm-hmm. they're looking for... Uh, businesses in your area when they're visiting and so on and so forth. And people do tell me that they read the Google reviews. So, yeah, um, yeah, all. for example, I had a customer the other week 
And uh, this was a gentleman and his wife visiting the area for the day. So these were not going to be return customers. Mm -hmm. They were looking for a small amount of product from my store for a picnic. Now, I have a fine cheese and gourmet food store. I do offer samples to my customers, and I do it in a contactless manner. And um, he was fussing and fuming over what I knew was going to be a very small, um, you know, bill at the end. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the items, one of the cheeses that he asked for um, is a soft cheese with uh, one of those bloomy rinds on the outside. And I, this is one that I do do a custom cut of. I came and I showed him the cut. He approved the cut. I went back. I wrapped it, brought it out. I wrapped in proper cheese paper. I have run a very good store. And uh, I came back. He looked at me. He said to me, you didn't give me all rind, did you? (laughs) And I said, well, it's a soft cheese. It does have rind on it. Well, you didn't give me all rind. I said, well, I cut the piece that you approved. Mm Mm-hmm. And I said, that's the same thing as I do for all my customers. He made me unwrap that piece of cheese to show him that I hadn't given him all rind. Turn it upside down. Now, Ian, by this time, I'm giving him the stink eye, I have to say. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, because I had to then go back and wrap it all up again. And uh, then he went on Google and he wrote a bad review about me. So, like... Tell me, tell me, there is no ombudsperson for the small business owner, for the business owner who has to deal with difficult customers, yep. challenging situations, people who steal from you, yeah. and um, all of that goes into the bottom line that a customer, that our customers pay. So if customers don't want to pay a lot at the, at the cash desk, then we have to be able to, you know, reduce the, these reviews that affect yep. our bottom line, re- reduce the theft in our stores. All of that gets added to the bottom line. And yep. if consumers are complaining about the price of, of the things in the store, then that's part of it. Wendy, I, I, I appreciate your call. I appreciate your perspective. And it's one of the things that I, I say. There are a lot of things I love about cross-country checkup. And one is when we get insights like yours that not only are on topic, but kind of broaden the topic. And I think part one of the lessons here is when we as consumers, first of all, be fair when, when we do reviews on, on sites. But secondly, as we read those reviews, try to discern the difference between one angry person and unreasonable person and, and sort of the more general consensus. That's it for Checkup in 60 this week. You've been listening to highlights from Cross Country Checkup's live broadcast on CBC Radio 1 from April 16th, 2023. You can listen to the full two-hour version by downloading the podcast or streaming it on the CBC Listen app. If you'd like to share comments or appear on the show, you can go to cbc.ca slash aircheck. On Facebook, find us by searching for Checkup CBC. Thanks to everyone who helped this week. Our phone screeners are Mackenzie Ribello, Kiata Greco, and Theo Van Busicom. Our TV team, Caleb Isaac, Frankie Fiorini, Garth Godfried, Jevin Paul, and Richard Grundy. 
Technical production and editing from Will Yar and Matthias Wilson. Our program assistant is Chuck Molgat. Cross Country Checkup was produced this week by Abby Plenner and Mark Hennick. Our digital producer is Paul Hanchuk. The senior producer of the program this week, Steve Howard. I'm Ian Hanamancing in Vancouver. The next edition of Checkup in 60 will be posted after the live show next Sunday. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.